Tonight we uh, begin a new series called Questions. And so to kick it off, I'm going to ask you a question. It's real simple, okay, and I, and I do expect an answer from you about it. Are you ready? Real simple. How are you? Good. See, you did it. Often I say that in church, how you doing? Everyone's like, see, we can be normal here tonight, okay? We can ask, anyway. It's a normal question, societal norms. You ask somebody how they're doing, and back in the day, I think you'd get a response like this. It'd be the socially acceptable response, good, right? That was the typical response. Over time, I'm convinced, as I began to ask people that question, because like to uh, yip and yap, kind of keep things on the surface, like to do that with people. Say, how you doing? They'd say, I'm busy. Right? Busy became the new good over time. Right? Tell me I'm crazy. All right, you're crazy. Anyway. Then you began to ask the question more recently, and this is a logical progression. Say, how you doing? People say what? Tired. Right? Tell me you don't ask people today how they're doing. They say, oh man, I'm tired. That's the progression. It used to be we're doing good. We should have said well, but we said good. Then we said what? Busy. And then the only thing after that is tired. Right? It makes sense. Given the fast-paced life that we live, we're all over the place. We're bombarded with activity. We've got options coming out of our ears. We are a busy people, and we're tired, devoid of rest, devoid of Sabbath, we need a flat-out break, don't we? When people ask the question, uh, why they don't pray, oftentimes that's one of the reasons why they don't pray, right? They're too busy, right? That's why Bill Hybels wrote a book, I assume. His title was, Too Busy Not to Pray, right? So given our busyness... Uh, in the, in the messiness of life, we recognize in our, man, we get tired from that. We need to pray. We need God. We need His help. And so we seek Him through prayer. We're too busy not to pray. And yet, today, as we take a look at um, the question that was brought to us, now granted, in this series, Questions, these are your questions. These are questions that you at Missio Church, Missio Church North, have submitted to us saying we would love you to address these questions in the service. So these are your questions. And the question that was given to us was this. How do you pray? Question mark. And then another word, unceasingly, question mark. Right? It's one thing to recognize that we need to pray, but it's another thing to come to grips with the command of Paul in Romans and Thessalonians that we are to be people constant in prayer. It's another thing to hear these words, pray without ceasing. Right? I mean, that's a different thing. It's, it's one thing to say, yeah, i got to pray because I'm really busy. It's another thing to think to yourselves, hey, I've got to pray all the time. Wait a minute, we don't have time for that. Seems like an unreasonable, an unthinkable command. So I think that's why Given the busyness of life, and, and the, causes us to scratch our heads a little bit. 
Not only do we want to know how do we pray, how is it that we communicate with God, but we also want to get our heads around this idea of how in the world do we pray without ceasing. Matthew 6, 5-15. I want you to open up your Bibles. You can follow along on the screen. I'm going to do my best to, to zip through this tonight. As I know it's Sunday night, we're feeling that we're ready. Well, maybe we're beyond sweatpants in June. It's pretty hot out there. But we want to be chilling. So uh, let's follow uh, uh, along here. Uh, Matthew 6, 5-15. Listen to these words. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Here's the deal. Love how Jesus communicates with us through metaphor. We talked about that last week uh, downtown at Missio. He communicated with the sheep and the shepherd and all that stuff. Well, this week, I appreciate that it stares us right in the face. Jesus is clear as day, like a big red stop sign, right? A big uh, a red light that says, don't pray like this. Let me just say it simply and clearly. He tells us how we're to not pray. You must not be like the hypocrites. That is, when we pray, when we approach God our Father, we are not to approach Him playing a part, Really, he's talking about people who pray out for everyone to see them, to be noticed by them, to receive glory and acceptance and and honor for that prayer, right? Jesus is saying, hey, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't play the part. Don't play the role. You're not fooling God. You're not fooling me, right? You may be fooling everybody else, but the reality is, is that I know. Don't do that. Don't pray that way. Don't put on a show to put on this so-called righteousness for other people to see in public. Don't do that. Pray in secret to your Father. He sees you in secret, right? The next big stop sign is this. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, thinking they're going to be heard because of their many phrases. Bottom line, we cannot manipulate God with mantras, can we? When we approach Him, we don't go to Him with the idea that if we just say something over and over and over and over and over again, if we say it enough, with enough passion, then maybe God will do something about it. Jesus is saying, don't think for one minute that you can manipulate God by your empty phrases and your repeated language. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the pagans, right? 
Pray then like this, he goes on to say. Verse 9. And when he says, pray then like this, he brings us into the Lord's Prayer. Right? That's how we know it to be. This is the Lord's Prayer. In Luke chapter 9, there's also a version of the Lord's Prayer where it is literally a response to the question, Lord, or to the command, really a request, Lord, teach us to pray. So when you ask the question, how do we pray? When that comes to the forefront of our series, this is where we go. This is the place that we go where Jesus gives his disciples clear instruction about how they're to pray. And again, lest we miss the point that was just said, this is not some repetitive mantra that if we just say these words enough, God's going to respond to us. What I think we see here in the Lord's Prayer is a framework, right? A framework that really gives us a revelation of who God is. And I think that what we're seeing here is that who God is drives how we pray. And that often our prayer life, our struggling prayer life, is a confusion or a distorted understanding of who the nature, what the nature of God is. Who God is drives how we pray. So I want to bring you to some observations about who God is in these verses right in this Lord's Prayer. Okay, First off, he says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. We need to stop right there and see who God is in just simply that phrase. For those who believe and belong to Jesus, not, ne- not everybody, let's be clear about that. For those who believe and belong to Jesus, they are children of the Most High God, children of the Heavenly Father, and in prayer approach Him as a child, calling Him who He is, their Father. Who God is drives how we pray, right? He is our Father. John 1, 2 says this, right? To all who have received Him, to those who believe in His name, to them He gave the right to be called children of God. Right? See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and that's who we are. So when we talk about prayer, how do we pray? We have to come to grips first and foremost with who He is in prayer. He is our Father in heaven. And I don't want anyone here tonight to miss the opportunity and understand that there is no approaching of God as Father if you have not received the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God the Son through His death on the cross in our place for our sin. But know this, if you believe in Him, if you've received Him, you are now given the right by God, the status of child, And our prayer, the how of our prayer, is one where we approach Him as our Father in heaven. This is what Jesus has done. Let us not forget the privilege of prayer. If we can grab onto the privilege of prayer, surely that will influence the how in which we approach God in prayer. He's our Father in heaven. I'll never forget a woman by the name of Lita Schleter. She was the dean of students when I was at Gordon-Conwell. And we were the glorified RAs, okay? 
We were those people. Which all that meant was when people moved in, we helped them. Sounds like a great job, doesn't it? So anyway, we went up to uh, and would chat with her about what was going on in the building, kind of serving as kind of overseers of that building. And we go to her and we tell her, Lita, this is what's going on in our building. You should be aware of those things. And you know what Lita would say? Seems kind of awkward at first and weird. But she would say this, I'm going to talk to the father about that. And at first I was like, does her dad work here? What's she talking about? No. Her understanding of prayer and how she approached God in prayer was so intimately tied and connected to her understanding of who God is and what prayer is all about. Lita was a child approaching her father. It wasn't just, I'm going to pray about that. We use that cliche a lot. And hey, here's the deal. That's good. You should be praying about things in people's lives. But for her to say, I'm going to talk to the Father about this, gave me insight into the fact that Lita really understood what prayer was all about. She knew who God was. And that's what drove her prayer life. God is Father. The second thing is, we see, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? If you could ask God for anything in prayer tonight, one thing, what would it be? If there's one primary crave of your heart, man, God, I've got to have this, what would it be? Jesus is saying that our primary, our foremost crave is for this. Our first prayer The utterance of our mouth when we come to Him in prayer and call Him Father is to say this. May your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. May the reality of heaven be brought to this place today. Is that the first and foremost prayer and crave and yearning of your heart? Before God in prayer? Or is it this? God, I, this is what's going on in my life. I need you, I need you to, to deal with this situation. That person is driving me nuts. I, I can't handle... Or is it first and foremost and always about you? So often that's my heart. Quick to pray when I've got issues, right? When I need God for something going on in my life. But Jesus reminds us that a proper approaching of God is to have an inner craving in our soul that says, may your will be done. May your name be revered as holy. And may your kingdom come in this place. Are you praying to God as your first and foremost priority? Praying for Him before you're praying for you. David Turner says, Prayer is not first and foremost an exercise to vindicate the disciples' causes, meet the disciples' needs, fulfill the disciples' desires, or solve the disciples' problems. Rather, one's priority must be the promotion of God's reputation, the advancement of God's rule, and the performance of God's will. I'm reading a book. Let's be clear, I didn't necessarily read it. I'm reading a book called Sojourners and Strangers by Greg Allison, and it's all about the, the, the doctrine of the church. What is the church? And one of the definitions that he gives 
is the church is a doxological people. All that means is it is oriented to the glory of God. We as the church are a people called by Him to Himself to have an orientation to the glory of God. And so often, as I'm approaching God in prayer and living my life, I'm in the reality of this, that I am not oriented to the glory of God. I'm oriented to myself. And I wonder if you struggle with the same thing. But you see, as the people of God, called by Him, called to Himself, we have been made a people that are oriented together to His glory. And I found that so often lately my prayers confessing that it's not oriented to Him have been this, God, Father, orient me, my life, my attitude, my perspective. Orient me to Your glory. I wonder if that would be a helpful prayer for you. Who God is drives how we pray. He's our first priority and passion. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We see that God is our provider of every need that we have, right? You have permission from the Father to approach Him and ask for whatever you need. Right? Now granted, we're confused often about what we need. Like we need that vacation in that Caribbean island. We need that car Right? With that 0 to 60 pace. If you're interested in a fast car, Sentra. Solid. 0 to 60 in like 15 seconds. Can't beat it. We get confused about wants and needs, don't we? Like, I need seven lattes a day, preferably with a vanilla shot. In American culture, we are confused about our needs and our wants. God is not promising that we, when we approach Him that we are going to experience the fullness of affluence and provision of every uh, thing that would take away any inconvenience and provide all the comfort that we need in this life. That is not what's taking place. But understand this, if there is any true need, and God knows what you need, you have permission and you can approach Him with complete faith that He is going to provide for every need that you have. So if there's a need in your life that you're questioning, will God provide? Go to Him in prayer, trusting that He will. Amen? That's the Father that we serve. He's our provider. Who God is drives how we pray. Not only that, He is the source of grace and pardon for forgiveness. Right? Verse 12, forgive us our debts. Right? So, many, so often we are a people living under the weight and the guilt of our own sin. And I'm here to tell you today that if you feel the weight and the guilt and the reality of your sin, Jesus has secured for you infinite pardon. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how grotesque you think it is, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beauty of our God, who is the source of grace and mercy for pardon, is that you can approach Him and you can confess your sin and you can expect Him to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's who our God is. Forgive us our debts. And He does. In Jesus Christ. 
But not only that, lest we miss the whole package of the gospel, lest we miss out on the horizontal reality that what God gives us in His grace and His mercy, He wants to not only give to us, but He wants to give to others through us. That the grace that we receive is the same grace that we are called now and empowered to give. And so at the same time that we're seeking Him for grace for the pardoning of our own sins, we're seeking Him for the grace to pardon those who've sinned against us. It's the package deal of the gospel. It's not a me and Jesus thing, right? This is now a thing that has transformed all of our relationships. We are not just reconciled to God through the cross, but we are reconciled to one another through the cross. Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 22. And the warning is clear. And you're saying, please explain it away. Verses um, uh, 14 and 15. That if we don't forgive, if we refuse to forgive, uh, forgive, if we say, no, I can't, not that sin. That hurt too bad. That was too harsh. And the reality is, the warning is this, if we don't forgive, our Heavenly Father will not forgive us. That is, if we are unable to forgive those who sin against us, it is obvious that we have not received the grace and pardon of Jesus Christ. Because His grace and mercy is one that overflows into the lives of others. We are not just recipients, but we are instruments of His grace and mercy. Amen? Who God is drives how we pray. He is the source of grace and mercy. And last, we see, verse 13, that He is our protector. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is our protector. Do not be fooled. We live in a day and age where there is a battle for your soul. There is evil in the world. Satan prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes that we may have life, and life abundantly. Let us not be fooled in the comforts of American Christianity to think for one minute that we are not in the midst of a battle, an intense battle for the souls of mankind. We are called to pray to God, our protector, knowing that if He is truly our Father, that we have nothing to fear in this life. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of a sound mind. We can go to Him as our protector, right? So often I find myself, or myself at night praying for my kids. My prayers are simple, mostly because I'm tired and I just want to go watch TV with Doreen. I'm just going to be honest. You know, it is what it is. But I come to the end of my rope and I approach my Lord, my Father in heaven, and I say, God, please protect them from the evil one. Protect Silas. Protect Evelyn. Protect Annika. This evil that's in the world is so enticing. And the evil that's in their heart is real. You know? Please protect them from the evil one. And I believe that God will do that. God will protect us as our Father. And He will answer that prayer. Who God is drives how we pray. But how do we do that unceasingly? Well, I want to just say it simply. Who God unceasingly is. God doesn't change. God doesn't shift like a shadow. Amen? God is who He is and He always is who He is. And we can go to Him always as He is. 
But are we really expected to just go in a secret room 24-7, 365 and pray this prayer in, in framework, uh, framework form or some sort of repetitive mantra? Is this What does Paul mean when he says pray without ceasing or be constant in prayer? What is going on with that? Friends, the answer to that question, how do we pray unceasingly, is again rooted in the nature of God, who He unceasingly is. But I want to say this as well, that it is not, I don't think the answer to this question is a step-by-step approach. Like this morning, when all the TVs and the screens and the sound equipment was a total disaster at 1010 this morning downtown. There's a simple step-by-step process of troubleshooting that problem. And Brandon and Trevor and all those guys figured it out, okay? First you do this, second you do this, third you do this. I don't think that's what we need to do to cultivate a life of unceasing prayer. That is, step one, step two, step three. But I do think, as I read on this, that there are three foundational realities that will undergird uh, not just a practice of unceasing prayer in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of the mess and chaos of our lives. But what will happen is, if we live in these three foundational realities, right, there'll be a posture of prayer. And ongoing, no matter what we're doing, no matter what activities we're in, crazy as our lives can be, we can always be existing in a posture of prayer because God is always existing as who He is in relationship to us. Who God is drives how we pray. And who God unceasingly is fuels within us an unceasing posture of prayer. Those three foundational realities are this. First of all, our ongoing awareness of God's omnipresence. Second of all, our inseparable union to God the Father through the Son and the Spirit. And third, our humble recognition of our helpless dependence upon Him. God is everywhere. Right? Do we really believe that? God is not confined to a building, a temple, a geography. He is all over the place. He's everywhere. No matter where we go, work, home, golf course, public, private, God is there. He's always with you. You are never hiding from Him. He is never unavailable to you. He is there. And so often we miss that. We live outside of an awareness. Not outside of the presence of God because He's always there. But we have confused ourselves in all of our infinite activity into thinking that He's not there. And that we need to go into our prayer room to find Him there. Or go to church to get Him there. Or small group to get Him there. But God is everywhere you go. And because you are a follower of Jesus, you are inseparably united to Him. He's not just out there. He's inside you. You're united to God the Father through God the Son in the presence of God the Holy Spirit that indwells you as His temple. Amen? we got to live in a constant uh, awareness of those realities. He's with you. He's in you. That never changes. That's an unceasing reality. If we can get into that, 
then surely we'll have more aptness to live in a state, in a posture of prayer. And last, and I think this is the one that gets us every time, we are a people that live in helpless dependence upon Him. Friends, we can't live without God, ever. We can't do anything without God. Jesus was clear as day, wasn't He? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, now wait a minute. I mean, come on, I can mow the lawn without Jesus, right? I mean, I can brush my teeth, right? I mean, come on, pay the bills, point, click. This is easy. I don't need Jesus. But again, we're, that's our issue. We become uh, uh, acclimated to a, a um, self-reliant um, uh, existence, don't we? We think we got this. But the reality is that the person of faith, when they come to God the Father, through God the Son, in the Spirit, they come to the reality that they've got nothing to bring to the table, and they are fully reliant and completely dependent upon God for every aspect of their lives. Friends, if you don't come to God with a state of helpless dependence before Him, you won't pray. You'll get it. You'll live life in isolation. Or at least you will cut the cord when God's power and His all-sufficiency is available to you when you cannot do it, whether you think you can or not. You will cut the cord. And you'll lose power. God is all-sufficient when we are perpetually in a state of infancy, we can't do anything without the aid of Almighty God. Who God unceasingly is fuels within us a posture of unceasing prayer. Two practical suggestions, and then we'll be all set for tonight. One uh, comes from Bill Anthes, the pastor of Grace Covenant Church up here in Clay was at a men's retreat where he was speaking at, and he is truly a man of prayer. He leads out of prayer. He's just, he's just a man of prayer, and uh, I appreciate that so much about him. I'll never forget that he was... Uh, Dad, I think you were actually there, too, uh, with me that night. He talked about connecting the dots. You know, uh, understanding the challenge of prayer, given the busyness of our lives. He talked about, instead of taking that half hour in the morning. Man, I pray every morning from 7 to 7.30, and then we forget about God the rest of the day, right? So often, that is what happens. And then the next morning, oh yeah, pray again, right? He said, why not do this in the cultivation of unceasing prayer? Why not take six five-minute increments throughout the day? Do five minutes in the morning, five minutes mid-morning, five minutes at lunch, five minutes in the mid-afternoon, five minutes at dinner, and five minutes before you go to bed. Was that like seven or eight? I didn't count. The idea is this. You're placing dots in your day so that throughout the day, you are continuing to engage God as Father in a state of prayer. And he talks about whether, no matter what you're doing throughout the day, being aware of His, uh, of his omnipresence and your union with Him and being constantly recognizing your, uh, your helpless dependence upon Him, guess what? You're living in that state. You're connecting the dots. The dots are in place. And in between, your posture of prayer is connecting the dots. Maybe a helpful thing for you to try, especially if you struggle, like me, in developing this kind of prayer life. Second one comes from Spurgeon. 
He calls them breath prayers. Many of us call them popcorn prayers. Come on, we want to say it. Popcorn prayers. Say it with me. Popcorn prayers. You don't want to say that. It's funny, but you get the idea, right? Pop, 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 pop. Just small phrases. As they come to mind, we bring them to the Father. Listen to what Spurgeon says. While your hands are busy with the world, let your heart still talk with God. Not in 20 sentences at a time, for such an interval might be inconsistent with your calling, but in broken sentences and interjections. Let short sentences go up to heaven. He who prays without ceasing uses many little darts and hand grenades of godly desire. Only Spurgeon can say it that way. Which he casts forth at every available interval. Maybe that's a helpful thing. Don't think that three words are a waste of time according to God our Father. He wants you to give it to Him. He wants you to seek Him. And He wants you to pray. He's always available. Uninterrupted availability. Maybe that's a helpful way of thinking about unceasing prayer. Who God is drives how we pray. Who God unceasingly is fuels within us a posture of unceasing prayer. At the end of the day, friends, I think the real issue boils down to who you ultimately see God as and who you ultimately see who you are in relationship to Him. Is God your Father? And are you His child? You know, sorry to keep illustrating this way, it's the stage of life I'm in. But when Silas tries to pour lemonade on his own, we got problems. Simple task it may be. When Silas tries to do many of things on his own, we got issues. But when Silas comes to me and he says, Daddy, I need your help with this. In a way that only Silas can. You know what I'm going to say to him every single time? Ask your mom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to say, absolutely. Let me help. Because as a father... I'm okay with the inadequacy of my son. I'm okay with that. I recognize who he is. And I recognize who I am in relationship to him. And I want to come alongside him. That's your father. He wants to be there for you. And he's all sufficient while you are continually infant. That's... When you come to the reality that you need him for every aspect of your life, he's always there for you. He's your Father. He's your Father in heaven. And who He is as that drives how we pray. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for who You are. You hold a title and a place and an authority that no one else in this world does. That no one else ever will. 
You are our Father in heaven. We pray that your name would be considered holy in this world. We pray that your name would be considered holy in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County. We pray that your will would be done in Liverpool, North Syracuse, Clay, Cicero, Baldwinsville. We pray that your will would be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We pray and we cry out to you that you would give us all that we need. We pray that you would forgive us, that you would provide the grace as we confess our sins to you, not only our sins, but give us the grace to forgive those who've sinned against us. And Lord, protect us. Don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said,